this is another episode of the Festive Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Loftus, and today I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Nick Marhar. Nick, can you introduce yourself to our audience? What's up, guys? I am a cinematographer based out of uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco. I kind of go back and forth, and I primarily am a uh, commercial cinematographer and getting more into narrative work now. Awesome. And, and Nick, can you tell us what, what's going on in your career right now? What's got you excited? Um, right now, I'm really excited because I'm transitioning more into doing a lot more narrative pieces. Um, I was doing a lot of music and working for a bunch of artists and touring the world, which was a blast. But um, at the core of it, you know, I want to get back into storytelling. And I think that, um, you know, taking some time off of the other stuff to focus on that has been really rewarding. And I've got to shoot a lot of really cool projects that have been in some film festivals and, uh, we've done some really challenging stuff. So oh, yeah. it's been, um, very rewarding. Yeah, man. Um, I actually, I want to hear that we might get off on quite a tangent with this, but I want to hear more about, uh, you know, your, your star Wars passion project. Um, and I definitely want to have you talk about, um, some of those, uh, setups specifically, like, uh, I forget the monster's name, but the puppet setup you guys did like run through some of that stuff. Like what, what's got you guys started desire to make that project? What was it like putting it all together? Um, break it down for us. So, I mean, I was, let's see, my buddy Scott, who's a producer I work with all the time, was um, helping our, our other producer, Alec, um, do this like hardcore, it was like a Japanese rock band. Um, it was really, really interesting. But the the concept for that was they had this woman who uh, had like uh, drawers in her chest and like could pull out her heart and pull out things of her arm and everything. And he does uh, special effects makeup for, you know, all the Marvel movies. He just worked on the Star Wars Mandalorian uh, TV show and stuff. And he is a huge Star Wars nerd, and he came up with this idea. And because of getting hired on this, he um, uh, talked with the the or the uh, producer Alec, who's a huge Star Wars. He has a huge sleeve on his arm of Star Wars <laughs> tattoos. And they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, I was thinking about doing this this uh, short story with my son, and just it was gonna be like him, his son, his friend, and like a camera guy. That was it." And so then he started telling us what the idea was and then showed us all the costumes he made and was like, whoa, like we need to do this like right. (laughs) And so um, they called me and we started talking more and it was basically the pitch was, and this is a spoiler, um, uh, you know, in episode three of Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Luke kills the Rancor monster in Jabba the Hutt's palace. And there's this like really sad moment when the Rancor dies of like – the trainer comes out and it's crying. It's like this five second thing in the movie, but like it's, it really grounds the universe in some kind of reality. And so we are like, what if we tell the story about this little boy finding the ankle or the rancor egg um, and everything? And it was like, yeah. And we really wanted to do practical effects, puppets, like everything like the original as much as we possibly could. And uh, that was, that's what got me intrigued. And I love Star Wars fan films, but I'm tired of Star Wars fan films that are just lightsaber fights. Um, cause that's so what true. everything so seems true. to be. And so I was like, yeah, let's do this. No lightsabers at all. Like I'm, I'm game for this. So, um, what's, what's something like that? Like, you know, be able to, to work on a project that isn't, um, necessarily driven by, um, money or profit or, um, you know what I mean? Like what's it, what's it part to be of a product, a project, you know, and be able to do it at, at that high caliber, that, that high of a level. Um, but to be doing yeah. it with people strictly out of, you know, a, a love for the craft, a love for the process. It's stressful. I would say is the number one thing. Um, I, 
I don't really know exactly the timetable of how long it took us. I think it was a year and a half or two years to do the entire project. And not because anything was like overly complicated. It was more so that like, you know, uh, we did kind of rush the script process a little bit um, to just get shooting. But then like every phase that we did it, it was like we brought more and more people on and it started getting better and better. And because we didn't have any money and we couldn't necessarily make money off of this project, we were worried about crowdfunding or anything like that. Um, so it was more so like finding people that were passionate and sound guys are actually the hardest things to find for passion projects. Uh, or so true. <laughs> you can find you can find other crew to work for free or like those favors. Sound guys work so much that they don't really want to. And this was one of the only projects we didn't really have that problem because every sound guy I know is a huge Star Wars nerd. And so that was actually nice. But it was it was awesome because everybody was super collaborative. Um, it was easier to find people to work on it from VFX artists that like we had never met. Um, Perry that lives in New York and some of my buddies up in San Francisco were all willing to work on it for free. Um, we had one shot that was like, or I mean, uh, one thing that was like actually VFX, which was a, um, the spaceship and like our buddy 3d modeled it from scratch. Then they textured it and rendered it all in and it looks amazing. Um, but it was like, it was nice. That it was a passion project because as we started getting to the editing, we're like, Oh, we actually need these things or we need this, or we need to fix this because it's not working for us. And so we were able to like go out and reshoot and not have to worry about the fact that like, well, we don't have any money already. So we're doing it for free no matter what. So we don't have to find more money, but it, it was really exciting, especially, um, cause Tim, our director was also getting, um, hired to work on the Mandalorian at the same time. So it was like really cool to see that he was working on the big actual star Wars project. That's so awesome. Um, I, I want to guess, uh, I guess for you personally, you know, what do you think, um, you gained, um, from being, you know, a part of this project and just going through the process. And can you maybe talk about some of the benefits that not just yourself, but anyone who was a part of it gained, um, from being a part of it, uh, being a part of that process. Uh, you know, I know for me personally, I know doing a lot of spec ad work, um, early on when I was first getting started, uh, just for the opportunity of having that for portfolio pieces was huge for me. But again, just like how fast it kind of built my network, um, specifically like in the Orlando area and just being able to find other people that, Hey, maybe I need a DP today or they needed uh, someone to gaff. And so I was able to get a lot more kind of work coming in as well. What kind of things do you think you, as well as everyone else who participated gained from being a part of this project? Um, I guess I work with some people that I hadn't got to, um, work with before, like, uh, my colorist, Matt Osborne at, um, I think he's at company three in LA. Uh, Matt's an amazing colorist and I've been wanting to work with him. So he really brought another level to it. Um, especially because, we were shooting on stuff that we own personally. So, or we, I think we rented lenses. I actually own the lenses. Now we were shooting on cook S four minis, but mm -hmm. like I was shooting on my red instead of, you know, film obviously, or, um, I know most people would probably then prefer an Alexa over a red, but, um, I was actually pretty surprised. It kind of reinforced my feelings about, um, also shooting on different camera formats that I feel like if you can shoot raw, then you can pretty much make the color look at any, like any camera and stuff. Um, but the, the one learning process that I really liked was that, um, my belief, I, David Fincher is my favorite director and his philosophy is that as a director, you should know everybody's position in a film crew to do, be able to do your job the best. And I feel like that's any department head should know every department. Um, and so like, cause I wanted to be a director when I was little, but, um, that helped, this project helped me because I, 
even though I'm, I'm, I think I'm credited as the assistant editor, like I was heavily uh, in the editing room and re-editing scenes with our editor and, um, you know, talking to our um, composer, Aaron, who's incredible. Um, and, you know, from everybody, just learning all the different aspects and seeing, try, being able to try stuff and see how it works. Um, and the, the benefit for me was being able to do in some scenes, at least darker situations and lighting, because a lot of my work on my website, uh, as much as I love it is a lot of commercial and it's more high key. Um, and it's not like the dark moody stuff that like, I think a lot of people tend to like a little bit more, especially me. Um, and so it was nice to be able to show off my work in another way. And then also just experimenting stuff like what my favorite shot is um, the droid OTK. He's um, inside this hut that we built in our friend's garage. And he's the little boys like locked up in this cage. And I was like, I feel like it needs something else. And we ended up adding like this backlight to it. And it looked very, to me, like E.T. or kind of like an 80s film. I really liked it. Um, but just being able to experiment and have the time to do that because we're not like beholden to a budget or anything like that. Absolutely. We definitely had time constraints still. But like we had our own set. It was at our friend's house. We're not having to worry about money for the studio or anything like that. It's really just some of the lighting rentals. Um, but I mean, the biggest thing is just like learning all the little small things. There's nothing like huge that came out of it. Um, I, I don't remember if John Favreau was able to see it. I know some people at Lucasfilm saw it. Uh, I have a bunch of friends at Lucasfilm that saw it. We premiered it in um, at 3210 Studios, which is um, ILM's old original warehouse in um, in San Rafael in the Bay Area. And like literally we're, shoot we're showing it in the George Lucas Theater. It's the theater that um, THX was created um, like the guys from THX came out and upgraded the sound there like a year before we, we showed our film. And like the THX guys were like, the specs here are better than what we require for THX sound. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, because they, the guy that developed the sound system built this studio just for this. Um, so, I mean, it was just cool to talk to a lot of veterans. I talked to when we shot the Rancor stuff, cause it is a puppet. It's not CGI. Like some people think it is. Um, I, we shot it once and it wasn't, it worked, but wasn't fully working enough for me. And I ended up getting the opportunity to talk to some of the original um, uh, puppeteers and um, camera people that worked on the original films um, and the prequels um, doing miniature stuff. And so I got to talk to them and ask for advice. And some of it was as simple as like, you have to just try it a bunch and then hope to see what, what's working. But like, there's a lot of math and technical stuff involved that I had no idea, which was a huge learning experience for me. So whether or not the film, you know, helped us get more work or anything like that was honestly some of the the most important learning things that I got from the uh, experience. Absolutely. Um, and especially like, I guess, what was it like in regards to the can you talk more about, I guess, like the collaboration process? Because I think that's something that's like extremely uh, important and unique about it, you know, is is one, you know, you're all kind of collaborating. Obviously, it bleeds over a ton like someone's mm -hmm. role might have been, you know, just the director or maybe they were just a PA, but I'm sure they did a bunch of other parts, you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, obviously you were helped building out these sets. Um, so, yeah. you know, your roles kind of bleed over if you will. Um, but also at the same time, you know, uh, part of the process is trusting everyone, um, in their trusting everyone in their skill set and their abilities. You know, what was that like, um, being able to trust and rely on someone to do, you know, the composition and the score and all that, and you don't have to worry about any of that and, and be able to kind of just focus on your area. Totally. Um, yeah, the, the nice thing with, um, 
the crew that I work with primarily um, is Bay Area based, but a lot of them live down here. And then we go back and forth constantly. Um, we jokingly, uh, my wife and I just actually moved, but the place that we were in before we called the production house because we had like the giant trash bins from our community right outside of our, so we could dump our trash from any of our shoots and stuff. But we, it, it was a nice collaborative ish, er, relationship because all of us work together so much that we kind of, we know um, each other's jobs pretty well. And we know when somebody needs help within their department. Um, and there were situations, like I said, where we're doing, we're shooting one weekend and then we don't see each other for another month. And then we shoot another weekend or there was one that was like, I think the crazy push that we did was we drove to Death Valley, which was five hours away. We shot all day, drove back, got four hours of sleep, drove to Yermo, which is where we shot Canyon stuff, shot there all day, drove back. Our, our AD, Patrick uh, Lundberg, who's in the Bay Area, uh, flew down for those. And then as soon as we, we got back that Sunday night, he flew uh, to San Francisco and then went straight to set. Um, but like, you know, Crazy. everybody's pulling, do, doing whatever they can do to make it work and because they're passionate about it. And I think that also lends itself to us all feeling pretty comfortable with talking to each other about our opinions about stuff and, and saying like, I don't think this works and this is why. Um, and coming up with like, you know, building that working relationship. We had never worked with the director before and he primarily works in um, model making and stuff. And so he's directed some stuff before, but like not like tons of stuff. And so just trying to build that relationship and that dialogue of like, hey, I don't think this is working. What if we try this? What if we try that? And trying to come up with solutions to everything um, and problem solve. That's the biggest thing is problem solving. We, when we were shooting, it was 105 out and costumes were melting. And then there is dirt bikes, uh, you know, impeding on our sound and stuff. It's just a bunch of different things that we had to work through. But um, thankfully, we had a great crew that was able to um, help with that. And, you know, it, we have the ADs helping me light and the producers helping me light. And when we didn't have gaffers or anything like that. So it was really, really awesome. Yeah, man. Um, totally agree with that. Uh, filmmaking really is like a just in essence really is creative problem solving. I feel like, <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit, let's, let's expand a little bit more just into your career. Um, so can you talk a little about, you know, I guess how, it, uh, talk about, I guess your journey, first of all, um, if you can talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about your journey kind of into filmmaking. And then if you can also talk a bit about, you know, having a team, you know, how much of a difference that's made in your career, um, and success, you know, having, a group of people that you can rely on, you know, as you mentioned, like your crew, so your, your, I guess, set kind of group of people that you bring out to shoots with you, um, to help out. What's it been like for you to have that kind of core group? Totally. Um, I mean, speaking on the, the group thing, I think that it's, it's key. I mean, if you look back at stuff like, uh, or, or people like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Coppola and all them, like a lot of interviews that I've seen is like, even though they're all directors and they direct their own things, like they're also talking to each other constantly and they're also getting their getting opinions from other people and stuff. And I think that having a core group of people like that is very helpful. Um, we do have like, you know, directors and, and different uh, department, multiples of department heads and stuff that we all talk to each other to get opinions. But the the core group and in, in my group is specifically everybody kind of has their role. Some people do producing and directing, some do writing and directing, you know, it, it depends. And like I, my journey started as like when I was six, I wanted to be a director and I would love just shooting videos. I used to, um, I grew up on like Nickelodeon, like the Amanda show and my next door neighbor, her name was Amanda. So naturally me and my sister were like, oh, we're shooting the Amanda, we're going to recreate stuff from the Amanda show. And <laughs> we used to do that in the garage and like I have 
I have this green, um, a family friend showed me Premiere, uh, Adobe Premiere, like when it first started before I ever had a Mac for Final Cut. And he, um, so that's how I learned green screen. And I like bought a green sheet uh, off of eBay when I was like 10. And um, I still actually use that green screen sometimes when I need no like, way. something smaller. <laughs> um, the the, the honestly the craziest thing for me like the like out of body experience was we were doing a a logic music video on the universal studios back lot and it's like oh my god i used to take tours here with my family and we're shooting a music video down the entire street and i'm using a green screen that i got when i was 10 years old off of ebay that's like, so this surreal is, like really just weird for me um and so and I, I go to my old high school all the time and i try to talk to the kids because there's a program there and i want to like inspire them and it's like because we never had anybody that came back and i'm like everything that you're doing right now like try as much as you want and and fail at it it's totally fine but like i promise you if you do that the things that you're going to use and learn in this class are going to be things that you're going to use forever and like it's totally true um but the people that i work with are incredible and um like, you know, we're constantly talking. My wife um, worked on the project too. Um, she, I think at the time, I'm not even, I think when we started the project, she wasn't even working in film. She was a marketing director. And now like, because of this project and because of other projects we've done together, she's doing like, you know, producing Apple commercials and Alaska Airlines commercials and doing bigger things than some of us are doing and stuff. And so, um, but like, we really try to bring people in that are passionate and even if they're wanting to learn and they don't know as much, like we're, we'll totally take that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey, but it's been a fun one. And then I guess in terms of my career, I, after I graduated high school, I went to a community college because I didn't want to have to pay for, you know, undergrad education basically, uh, for the first two years. And then I tried to transfer into USC, UCLA and Chapman. Chapman was my number one. And I actually, unfortunately, didn't get into any of the film schools I wanted to. Um, Chapman, I think, is very hard to, as a, unless you're going in as a freshman, it's very hard to transfer into. That's what we kind of learned. Um, it might have changed. But um, I ended up going to Academy of Art in San Francisco because I wanted to be a cinematographer. And um, they're the one of the only film, uh, film schools that give you a camera from day one, and you get to learn on film. Um, but I tested out of like really basic classes there and to get into other classes that for me were still basic. Um, so after like a year, year and a half, I ended up dropping out um, mainly because like I didn't, I was working on a bunch of sets with students and I didn't like the fact that I was working with people that had graduated and I was in higher positions than them sometimes. And I just felt like nobody had ever asked me if I had a film degree and I knew that you didn't need a film degree to do any kind of film. It's really about your work. So it was like, why would I put myself in like $100,000 plus debt just to have to pay this off for the rest of my life? Why don't I spend this money on a camera system and stuff? And I don't, I don't recommend that for everybody because like the, the value that I did get from film school was the people that I work with now are people that I met at film school. Like most of the people, my AC John is amazing and I will work with him on every single project. And I met him at film school. Um, and a bunch of other people that I work with, but, um, I do think getting some kind of higher education, like even just a community college education for two years is invaluable. And the classes that I took outside of my comfort zone, um, affect, you know, my filmmaking today. So, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, totally agree there. You know, for me, I actually, I did, you know, I did a undergrad at, uh, Ohio university. And I know for me personally, like 
everything I feel like I really learned in regards to filmmaking was learned like through self-application, just getting out there and like just doing it rather than, you know, getting lectured at. Um, so I, I totally hear you there. Um, probably a, a misstep I had, but that's all right. You know, we, we live and we learn. Um, so can you talk <laughs> exactly. a little bit about, um, you know, what are like some actionable steps, if any, that you could share with our audience here on like your journey, like your route to success? Like how did you go from kind of just working on projects, um, coming out or dropping out of, you know, college to starting to land commercial gigs? Like what was, what was kind of your stepping stones, building blocks to, to getting there? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because I also, I work at the ASC a lot, um, American Society of Cinematographers, and I've done, I've helped out with like three or four of their masterclass. And I think that's like the biggest question for people is like, you know, how do you break in or how do you do this and stuff? And it, what's really interesting is everybody's journey is totally different. And especially nowadays with social media, it's totally different from any of the oh, ASC yeah. guys. The ASC guys are really knowledgeable in cinematography, but like when you ask them, like, um, oh my God, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm really bad with names and I'm great with faces. Um, he shot, um, Jurassic park three and oh my God, some other stuff. He, he's an amazing cinematographer, but talking to him, it was like, well, how did you get in this position? He's like, well, I was a camera operator on this and the DP quit. And so then they just, I, they brought me up to the position. <laughs> and then since then he, he's been, shoot, he's been shooting big feature films, but he was like 20 at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's that doesn't happen as much anymore, I would say. Um, but uh, so my journey, yeah, when I when I dropped, I was my high school teacher. We had a video class, and my high school teacher ended up quitting. I think a year or two after that, I had graduated. But he was doing like corporate stuff on the side, and because we live in the Bay Area, um, there's tons of tech companies so that need videos. So we were doing stuff for like server companies and just whatever they they got. But that was all them. They were just hiring me, which was nice. So I didn't have to find those jobs. Um, and then a lot of it was just like friend of a friend that my buddy Doug that um, I work with, I shoot, I think I've shot every single one of his commercials in the last seven, eight years. Um, he was an editor at the time and needed somebody for a small project. So I shot it for him and then he kind of transitioned into directing. And I met him because of my buddy, Mike Wood, who introduced me to him. Um, and if it wasn't for that relationship, like I wouldn't be doing as many of those commercials as I have. Um, I also, you know, I get bored really easily and I like to jump around between a bunch of things. I don't like the idea that you have to be shooting one type of thing. And so I was, I was doing a lot of photography too on the side cause it was like a nice, easier thing to get people to do outside of video. Cause that takes a lot more time and effort. And so I was shooting with a model one day and she showed me Macklemore's thrift shop video. And I didn't even know who Macklemore was. And um, I started looking at his videos and I was like, this guy's amazing. So I started doing research and I noticed that like they had tour videos, but they said the next one was coming in like uh, coming soon. And it was six months later. So I'm like, something's happening there. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's a gap and they're about to do their world tour. So I ended up reaching out and through a lot of persistence and a lot of back and forth emails and, 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 recording a, a very embarrassing selfie video of myself talking uh <laughs> answering questions they were asking me so that it was more personal than just like an email my family has never seen this video by the way um that's great i sent it to them and they it stood out to them so i was persistent after the fact too 
but that got me on a 16 day music video with them. And that was like when the movie started coming out or right before the movie came out. And because they are Seattle based and so is free fly, we had the movie for 16 days for, um, before it was ever released and got to, you know, experiment with it. And then from there I made a good impression. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that people need to understand is that like, it's all about relationship building and being a good person. You're going to be on set with these people for 12 plus hour days and it doesn't matter. Your, your work can be amazing, but if you're a shitty person, it's only going to get you so far. It, it got people plenty Truth. far in the old days, but I think nowadays it's going to be even harder to do that um, with people getting called out, but rightfully so. Um, but I did the Macklemore tour and from there at the same time, my commercial director friends and producers started getting more traction doing more stuff and then there was some artists in the bay area that started you know taking off like sage the gemini that we were doing videos for them at the same time so it was just a combination of having my hand in a bunch of different cookie jars and both of those doing really well at the same time um and then from there it's just like building and then after the macklemore thing i reached out i was persistent again and i reached out and used my macklemore connections to jump on with um, logic when he who I had known his music before Macklemore, but he was, I knew, uh, just got double XL freshman cover and was signed to Def Jam and re- about to release his debut album. So I was like, well, let me see if they need any help with anything. So I jumped on with him and I was with him for five years, um, while doing commercials on the side. And that's the funny thing about that is actually all my friends thought I was making all my money off of him. And I was really doing, I was making a very small percentage of my money off of him. It was mainly actually um, commercial work that was yeah. uh, paying a huge portion of the bills. But with him, I got to, I got to tour the world. I got to go see, go to Europe multiple times with him and Macklemore and um, a bunch of different things. So like for that, for me, it was beneficial in multiple ways for publicity through Instagram and just being able to tour and do some fun things. But it also broadened like my experience. Cause like I've done, I've live directed a bunch of concerts now because I have such extensive um, experience doing concerts. I've done hundreds of concerts and festivals now. So I know how like the shows work. Um, so that's, uh, there's a 88 rising, which is like a, I think it's a Chinese based company, but they have like rich Brian and a bunch of uh, other mainly Asian acts. I think um, I've done some live concert stuff with them, but that's mainly because of the concert stuff, um, which helps. So. Let's talk about scheduling because, you know, as a filmmaker, um, scheduling is crazy. <laughs> um, schedules constantly different. Yeah. Um, and hours, uh, can be absolutely insane, you know, go, not getting on set till 10 PM and then going throughout the morning and, and such. Can you talk a little bit about, um, maybe some, some apps, um, steps you take like procedural methods, anything you do, um, that helps kind of better organize um, and give more structure to, I guess, your work week slash work month um, to kind of be- better balance things. And then also, I like how you mentioned um, a- yep. agency as well. Uh, I would like to just get your opinion on, again, for our viewer, or our, our listeners here, you know, is signing with an agency something you would recommend? Do you recommend people kind of stay in their own lane and just kind of um, pursue and try to grow the network themselves? Like, wh- where's your standpoint with that? Totally. Um, scheduling, I think is, uh, it's easier. I don't know. My, my family is super understanding, which is nice. Um, and then the fact that my wife now works in film too, she totally understands it more. It doesn't mean it's any less frustrating. 
Um, especially like, you know, you could have a couple jobs come up and they're like perfectly aligned, you know, where it's like the first job's the first through the third and the second job's the fourth through the six or whatever. And then one job needs to move by one day and it totally screws up the schedule to where you can't do one or both or whatever of the shoots anymore. And that happens a lot. And I've moved my schedule around multiple times. And, um, but in terms of scheduling, like it's just, it's hard. My family understands my schedule and like I miss birthdays and I thankfully have not missed Christmas, uh, New Year's. I think I worked one year, but like most of the ho- major holidays I'm there for. Um, but they also understand that like sometimes I might not be here. Um, I think, you know, I Valentine's Day isn't like a huge holiday for me personally, but like <laughs> I, I think I've missed Valentine's Day for the last three years for my wife um, and try to make it up in other ways. But <laughs> It's about 365 days, not one day. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it just depends. It's it's uh, you have to use a calendar. You have to be on top of it. You have to make sure that you're there's communication in terms of dates and stuff. And and um, I think the biggest learning curve for me um, that I've had, in, at least with my personal relationship, is just even though we have a shared calendar is just communicating about like, Oh, Hey, reminder, I have this job coming up or this is coming up because that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person saw it or understands what's going on, or they didn't know that for sure. You're, you know, there's times we see a job on the calendar and I'm like, Oh, it's in LA, but it's like, Oh no, it's actually in New York. I have to fly out the day before and I have to do this and stuff. And so just communication with, um, you know, your friends, family, and then, you know, whoever you're working with as well. What do you think are the most common reasons people fail or quit in the film industry? Um, and what pieces of advice would you give people on how to uh, kind of overcome that adversity? Totally. Um, oh, man, that is so hard. Because, you know, I, especially working with Logic, his whole thing is peace, love and positivity and following your dreams and like do whatever you want that makes you happy. And that's, I completely agree with that, but there's also the realist in me that says not everybody can do a certain job or not everybody's going to be successful. There's only so many people that can be CEOs of a company. Um, There's only so many people that can be at the top or something, but like, I I think that now in history is a great, uh, you know, a great time for diversity. I think that's one thing. So you know, if you're not a white male, you're going to have a little bit more success, but you also have to work your freaking ass off no matter what. And you have to be okay with failing. And like, honestly, I will wake up one week and think that like, I'm so happy with everything that I've ever shot. And I'm so proud and I've done a lot at my age. And then the next week I'll wake up and think that everything I've done is complete crap. And just understanding that that's okay. And that's part of the process. And I don't know a single filmmaker that doesn't feel that way. And not letting social media become like a slave, uh, don't be a slave to social media because there's so many people that like I thought were working a lot because of their social media. And honestly, I weren't working that much when I see them at events and stuff. Um, But just knowing that I, I think it's just, you have to have the work ethic to keep pushing yourself forward and putting yourself in situations that make you feel uncomfortable and being comfortable with being uncomfortable is a huge um, importance because you're always going to feel some level of uncomfortability, whether it's a new shoot, a camera you've never shot on or anything like that. 
but also knowing when to ask questions and ask for advice and ask for help and build, you know, going back to what we talked about, building that community of people that you can pull from and talk to, because I think that's a huge, um, you need that support group no matter what. Nobody can just, you know, be on their own and not have anybody, especially because, you know, like I said, a lot of the career moves that I've made have been because of supportive people in my life, whether it's other filmmakers or family. And you, you need that support in some aspect. And if you're not getting it from your family or you're not getting it from your friends, go find a new tribe. Like you get to define your, who your tribe is and stuff like that. And there's, there's people in super shitty situations and there's, uh, there's this group of filmmakers. I don't know what their names are, but that are making films in Africa on really shitty old iPhones. But like, and they're cheesy as hell with green screen and special effects, but they're doing it. They're doing something that they love and you, you have to love it. You if you don't love it, you're going to drive yourself crazy because there's going to be so many road bumps and so many speed bumps. And I think that if you look at any interview with any celebrities or anybody in their big positions, they talk about how many times they've failed before they succeeded. And you only need to succeed a few times for it to, you know, all the failures to be worth it. But as long as you're learning on every single failure, it's completely worth it and you're going to succeed. You just have to have the perseverance to just keep knocking on doors and keep pushing. And that's the the biggest thing is the people that succeed are the ones that keep doing that. Some people will do it really fast and some people won't. But honestly, I would much rather it take a long time and build a huge relationship and build a huge career to get to where I want to be than, you know, like music, be a one hit wonder and then fall off the next week. Just because you made one big project, your next project sucks. You know what I mean? You're going to learn a lot more from those all those failed times and it taking a long, lot longer than you are succeeding right away. Wow. Um, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, <laughs> great kind of note to end on there, man. Um, I guess lastly with that, you know, is there anything uh, that I didn't ask you that I should have? Oh, man, that's so tough. I don't think so. I mean... I just, I go on random tangents sometimes when we're just talking and having conversations. And I think that's the best way to like, cause yeah. random ideas will pop into my head about stuff. Um, but especially since, you know, your cause your podcast isn't just about filmmakers, right? It's about everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, it's really for anyone. Um, obviously I kind of pick and, and uh, bring on people kind of more tailored to the creative industry because I think it brings yeah. about more entrepreneurial careers. So um, can speak more broadly, but also bring it into the micro of specifically in their niche field. Um, but yeah, really, this is advice for, for anyone in regards to trying to pr- pursue a career being freelance, entrepreneur, just trying to get more um, financial freedom in their life so they can be able to, you know, spend more time on the weekends doing their hobbies, etc. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the importance is like diversifying and trying a bunch of different things. And understanding like you know learning how people work and their minds work and understanding like you know history repeats itself i'm a huge history nerd and history was one of my favorite subjects in school and learning that like history does repeat itself so you know anything from people stealing your ideas it's going to happen um and knowing you know looking for the signs of that happening and protecting yourself but also understanding that like that's going to probably happen. And sometimes you can do something about it. And sometimes you just have to move on. It really just depends. Um, and just, you know, again, trying so many different things and having fun with it. Like if you're not having fun with it, there's a problem. 
Um, obviously sometimes you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do and stuff that are stressful and, and there's going to be tempers and people are going to yell at each other and stuff. But like your, your reputation as a person is a huge, uh, importance of all of that and your work that you do. And nobody's going to be mad at you for going the extra mile about something. You might be frustrated because you you think you're either being taken advantage of or it's not being appreciated, but I guarantee the work that you put in and the hours that you put in are going to benefit you, whether it's on this project or the next project, it's going to be a learning experience in some way. And you kind of need to look at what the positive things of every situation are and take that as a learning experience. Um, it's just, it's a learning experience. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Nobody knows everything. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to constantly be learning. If you're, I think the only filmmaker I've ever seen is Ridley Scott, who thinks that he, kind of, or James Cameron, that kind of knows everything. But, um, but like they <laughs> still, but you, but they, but they don't. Like they're, they still make bad movies. There's still bad decisions that they make and stuff. But, um, just know that it's okay to fail and you can always bounce back from that. Love that, man. Totally. Um, so where can our listeners, uh, check out some of your work? Where can they, uh, follow along for your journey, um, and potentially hire you for gigs? Um, so, uh, my website, nickmahar.com. My last name is M A H A R. Um, and my Instagram is usually where I post most of my stuff. It's just Nick Mahar. Um, I use my stories more than I use my actual Instagram post nowadays, but I'm trying to be better about that um, just because I've gotten a little jaded over it. But, um, you know, feel free to email me through there or my website. And I try to answer questions for people. People send me DMs all the time and I try to answer their questions um, about getting on set. And um, I also run a Facebook group um, that has been invaluable. My friend Patrick Lawler started it, but I help uh, manage it. It's called I Hella Want to Be On Set. Um, it's invite only, um, so that it's only community members inviting their friends and stuff so that it's not just over flood with a lot of the film LA pages where it's like, you know, hundreds of replies for a job position. Um, but that's a a huge resource, um, that you can find me at that we're constantly looking for interns or people that want to come out. Um, we are actually doing another star Wars project and we're announcing, um, some stuff for that soon um and that one we actually just had a phone call about it last night and so i'm excited about that we're definitely trying to step up our level of um complicatedness especially because it's still going to be low budget and everything um but i think that if if anything the last project shows that we were able to do something um with not a lot of money um uh, and we did it out of passion so um, yeah, that's, I think that's probably it. Those, those places. All right, right on. Thank you so much, Nick. Uh, really appreciate you stopping by and, uh, lending us your time and advice. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you grab some great information. Be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review. Appreciate y'all and see you next time.